how did we manage to cover so much great information in such a short amount of time? This was great. To you by Island, this is the Cloud Bytes podcast, where we bring together panels of opinionated cloud customers, providers, and analysts to discuss topics related to how clouds are built, marketed, and consumed. Everyone has different needs in the cloud, so we'll debate the topic at hand and, at the very least, agree to disagree. Our goal is to provide good sound bites about how to manage your bytes in the cloud. And sometimes the best conclusion may simply be that the cloud bites. This episode is all about the concerns customers have with finding a return on investment in the cloud. My name is Brian Knudsen. I'm the Director of Cloud Market Intelligence for Island, and will be acting as our moderator for today's discussion. This episode's panel includes experts on helping customers find value in the cloud. Let's start by having each of our panelists quickly introduce themselves with their current role and a soundbite of their initial thoughts about what is important when considering concerns about return on investment in the cloud. I'm Emily O'Meara. I'm a positioning consultant who works with companies that are usually providing tools or platforms to facilitate cloud native development and uh, facilitate working in the cloud. And I help them communicate the value that they provide to the end users. And in general, my thought on getting ROI out of the cloud is sort of it depends. The really big thing is that every end user has slightly different needs and different goals and exactly what they need to be looking at in terms of ROI is going to be a little bit different, but you need to be able to talk to the customer and understand what's important to them. Mark Beter here. I run the solution architecture practice at Island, And so for me, when it comes to ROI, the most important factor is really making sure you're understanding the end-to-end of what you're trying to achieve what are the drivers, and what are the, all the pieces of the puzzle that you're going to need when you get to cloud so that you can really establish whether there is an ROI and how you're going to measure it. My name is Matt Lieb. I, uh, I work for IDC as a research director and analyst, specifying file and object storage. And uh, this is a really interesting topic. I really like taking ROI from a global perspective. In order to determine that, though, The customer really needs to understand what they're looking for, the duration of what they're looking for, and have a decent handle on the way that infrastructure is going to grow, particularly when it comes to storage over time. Thank you all for joining me. Innovative solutions often look expensive on the surface, requiring some effort to determine the return on investment. The cloud is no different. However, there are plenty of stories of sticker shock with the first bill after migrating to the cloud. Some of this can simply be attributed to the different cost models that cloud and on-premises infrastructures have, but there's also an element of hidden costs and unexpected burst charges that happen. Sussing out an apples-to-apples total cost of ownership can be very difficult when comparing multiple cloud platforms versus on-premises. Emily, let's start by giving some advice to the listeners about how they should look at ROI in the cloud and what all goes into that calculation. Yeah, so I think that really the first thing is understanding, you know, what type of company are you? How do you make your revenue? How do you make money? And how does your cloud bill fit into that picture? So what I mean is, you know, everybody's in a different industry. If you have a SaaS application and you make money from selling access to your SaaS, you have a fundamentally different revenue model than if you are Home Depot and you make money by selling lumber. But both of those types of companies are going to have cloud bills. 
They just have very different things that they need to think about. So when you're thinking about ROI, you need to think about, you know, what is our revenue? How does our cloud bill fit into our cost structure? How does it fit into our cost of goods sold? So how do we fit it into our overall picture of our cost of operating and our revenue? And, you know, what costs related to the cloud are going to cause our revenue to go up? (laughs) Because that's a different conversation, of course, than if it's just a cloud cost that doesn't actually impact, you know, increasing our revenue or not. I think that's a great point, Emily. And it really highlights the lack of understanding that organizations have between TCO and ROI. You know, fundamentally, a lot of companies are doing TCO analyses against moving to cloud as opposed to an ROI because of all all the enablers that cloud could afford them. You know, your point about revenue and understanding where your money comes from and potentially new revenue streams or moving to cloud might drive efficiencies elsewhere. So they could improve the company's ability to deliver customer support or they might improve their customer satisfaction so that drives a higher customer retention or greater customer spend. So those are the sorts of things that have to be taken into consideration for ROI. And a lot of organizations we speak to aren't necessarily doing that. They're going, well, I spend this much today on X. If I take X and put it in the cloud, what will it cost me? And that's more of a TCO than an ROI. I think you make an excellent point. In fact, both of you made very valid points. And and the truth is, without a uh, sort of a global perspective, without a handle on, as I said at the very beginning, what you have, what it's going to look like in the cloud, you really can't determine the total cost of ownership. It's far easier when your formula locally is my equipment amortized over five years is costing me X. And that equipment is switchgear, air conditioning, storage, server, x86, licensing on whether it's virtualized or not, etc. Those are fixed costs that you can determine very easily. The cloud, migrating onto it, migrating off of it because of egress charges, bandwidth charges, etc., can be a very malleable number, and it's really quite difficult to turn that into a, an ROI without some really advanced math. Yeah, you know, I think that the key part of the cloud conversation that relates to ROI is that really the cloud isn't just a cost or a cost savings conversation. And this is where the ROI calculations get tricky because, you know, how much is it worth to your company to reduce latency and therefore improve customer experience? How many customers are you going to gain because you did that? And it's really hard to draw like an extremely straight line between that and an ROI number, but it clearly has value for the company. And boiling cloud down to a cost play, I think, is a vast oversimplification. Yeah, the other thing we haven't spoken of is learning curve. The cost of manpower is one thing. Chances are the architectural or engineering people are going to be a constant, whether that set of workloads runs in the cloud or not. But there is a learning curve in training whoever is managing it to do it on a different architecture. So that needs to be taken into account as well. I mean, in fact, one sort of common thread that I see among companies that I work with and also among end users is that 
a lot of companies sort of fail to take into account the amount of money they spend on people, on salaries, and don't think about that quite as much when they think about like, should we build this internally or should we buy something off the shelf? For whatever reason, they don't think, well, you know, instead of spending a hundred grand and six months on salaries, we should spend 50 grand and have it tomorrow. Yeah, the classic, I've already paid for these people to work here, so why should I include them in my calculation? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was always a frustration when I was on the customer side and had to justify something that would improve our life within IT. They never saw value in that because, well, we already hire these people to do their work. They just go do their work. I'm like, yeah, but we could do more work. We could get to things that we don't normally get to do. There's a lot to be done in this IT environment that isn't getting addressed. So I think that's a huge one. There's definitely a lack of consideration for opportunity cost. Well, how much could we have done if we had this, as opposed to just focusing on the status quo? Well, try turning that into a numeric figure. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. And that's why when it comes to these sorts of things, you need to factor in a range. You've got to go from conservative to optimistic. And I mean, you can be wildly optimistic, which usually will be laughed out the room. So there's no point in doing that. So establish what's conservative, even if that's 2% incremental from where you are today. And I think most people would not push back on something that's that conservative. And then you get into the optimistic range, 10, 15, 20, 25%. And then at least you have a ballpark and then you can present the case at different values on that spectrum. Uh, Yeah, I think that's fair, right? Again, it would be an estimate. But as long as it's couched in such a manner as to say, we have seen or estimates are, then you can't be caught in too much of a trap with that. Yeah, I'm forgetting the author, but there's a guy who wrote a book called How to Measure Anything. And that's precisely the technique that he advises is you sort of set these parameters and you say, well, if this is in the most conservative scenario, this is what our ROI would be, you know, or this is what would happen in the most optimistic scenario, it'll be X. And, you know, if we're in that range, is it worth it based on a series of assumptions? And that's a good exercise, I think, for a lot of companies to go through when they're thinking about what they could get out of the cloud and thinking about these sort of hypotheticals, like what is a 5% better developer productivity worth it? Yeah. And the whole equation could be complex, not only for all these things, but also if you're comparing to an on-premises plus three other cloud providers that all have very different ways of doing it. It can be massively complex because there's so many different things that go into that equation that is just incalculable at that point. But Matt, I'm curious with the experience you've had with customers and your analysis of the industry, is it clear cut good or bad or indifferent when it comes to moving to the cloud from a non-premises infrastructure? I mean, is that just a given because everyone's doing it? It must be cost effective. I think you could look at the repatriation numbers (laughs) to prove out that, no, it's not a clear answer. I think that it's viable once you do your research to determine that this is a good solution for me for this workload or prove that it isn't. But to give the standard consultant's answer, yes or no. And I hate to do that, but it's so necessary in a, in a question like this. I think we fall into a category of buyer beware and understanding what workloads you're talking about, understanding how they're factored, whether it's a VM and a platform that's 
housed on VMs, whether it's a platform housed in a containers infrastructure, all of these things add into the formulaic approach. But no, there's never a good answer. And, you know, another big fat question is how well is it going to work? You know, Emily, you brought up bandwidth latency. What if the application simply doesn't work due to latency? But you can't prove that out until you actually play with it. So I hate to give such an answer, but it really is the only way to go. And that's sometimes or maybe the best I can give you, buddy. Plenty of consultant answers. I know. I was going to say uh, you actually kind of almost answered your question when you said just because everyone else is doing it. That's like a clear sign that no, no, no. Just because everyone else is doing it is never a good reason to do anything. <laughs> yeah. If everybody else was jumping off a cliff. I'm going to say if we're talking about technology or not. But it's actually a problem in the cloud ecosystem, too. You know, there's a lot of hype around a lot of technology. And that's something that companies need to take seriously thinking about. Is this, are we trying to adopt this technology because it's right for us and it's going to meet one of our strategic goals? Or are we doing this because we read about how awesome it is or we saw a great talk at KubeCon or something? Yeah, we've all been directed by some CTO who read an in-flight magazine. This is the old story. And the answer is, yeah, I mean, again, certainly the industry thinks the cloud is the next big thing. But it's not always the right thing. And unless you do your evaluation, you're bound to find yourself with surprises. I would say that there's a handful of cases where the answer is always good, but they're very specific and they come with a whole bunch of prerequisites. And because they're so specific, to Matt's point, you know, and what Emily was saying as well, unless you do your homework, you can't determine an answer. And I'll put a bit more color to what I'm saying in terms of specific cases. The move from Exchange on-premises to Microsoft 365. I mean, that case can be made time and time again where the answer to move will be better. There might be some edge case where the answer is it's a bad idea, but the majority of the time, it's a good one. But it's such a specific example. And cloud is so broad and there's so many technologies, so many capabilities that I'm going to jump in Matt's camp here and go, it depends. <laughs> and another thing that I know we brought this up on the last time we talked on this podcast, I mean, just uh, moving to Office 365, you know, the intrinsic value makes is actually a somewhat simple total cost of ownership or ROI conversation. But there are ancillary technologies that you may have completely ignored during your research, things like backing it up. And, you know, Office 365, or I'm sorry, whatever they're calling it now, Microsoft 365, you know, it's a great technology. It's an obvious move for more sort of consistent licensing by Microsoft across the board. But what they tell you in their EULA is we back up but only to a certain point. And it's really, really important to understand that you might be missing out on ancillary services by just moving a application to a cloud provider that you haven't fully evaluated. And it's important to understand what those variables are. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> Thank you. I'm not disrespecting Microsoft, right? 
they tell you very clearly what they're offering and what it provides. But if you don't read the EULA, well, that's more for you, not more for me. Absolutely. Yeah, I think you're touching on another part that hasn't been brought up yet, so I'll throw it out there around the use cases side of things. And that is that, you know, it's not all or nothing for your environment. So there may be pieces you want to move like email and other pieces you want to move to a different cloud for different reasons. But that one other thing needs to stay on premises for whatever reason. And of course there are good reasons. So it's important not to assume that it's an all or nothing approach to things either. Right. I think that's definitely true. And on the other hand, I think it becomes even more complex. And I know complexity is kind of the evil in cloud, but complexity does just happen. And part of it is because this sort of hybrid scenario where you move some things to the cloud and keep some things on-prem is pretty much unavoidable for, you know, any company that's like more than a year old. Yeah. And to that end, you know, I kind of mentioned it before, but it's introducing that mix of CapEx and OpEx now. And, and how do you translate between the two to create that apples to apples comparison? And we have episodes focused specifically on the OpEx model and, and what it takes to move to that. So I'd encourage people to go look for that. But Mark, given all these different cloud vendors and all these different CapEx ways of calculating things, there can be a wide variety of different costs and pricing models within any one of those categories. So can you maybe go through what some of the costs to customers that they commonly wouldn't consider when moving to the cloud? Well, Matt kind of touched on it a moment ago in terms of the 365 analogy where you can move, but you don't get your data backed up. So if we move to sort of bigger scale compute infrastructures and move away from SaaS specific solutions, the common misstep or gap when people are looking at clouds and assessing, and especially at a, from an economic standpoint, is the overall end-to-end solution. So most organizations, and this is something I've seen time and time again, working with organizations from all over the globe in different verticals as well. So it's not you know specific to any one industry or any one region of the world, is they're looking at such a, don't even want to say 10,000 foot view, it's like a 100,000-foot view. And they go, I have these servers. I'm going to put these servers over there. And I say they're generically rather than calling out particular platforms. And they'll just find what at face value appears to be the equivalent of that workload in that target platform. But what often gets missed out are things like, well, how am I going to connect to this? So connectivity is a big one. The underlying network, the bandwidth, the remote interconnectivity between other sites and users, etc. That's a big one. And then one of the things which I think comes up time and time again is not all compute in cloud is equal. And what I mean by that is most cloud vendors operate what's called an instance model. And hopefully we're all familiar with that. But the instance model gives you a shopping list of 200 plus types of virtual machines. And then from that list, a lot of them will look really similar. You know, they'll have the same base configuration, CPU, RAM, etc. But what's not widely understood is that when you go a layer deeper than that, is that there's other limits that are imposed on different instance types. So you might be constrained on your network throughput capacity, or you might be constrained on your storage IO capacity, or the number of disks you're allowed to attach to a machine. And yes, I'm talking about infrastructure as a service, but there's also these same concepts 
apply to more of your platform as a service offerings as well. You know, they might look like, well, okay, I get the top line metrics that come with that platform as a service offering, but there are underlying constraints and limits that control that as well. And that's what people more often than not fail to look at, assess, and understand. Well said. Yeah, and this reminds me of one misconception that I've heard in this industry, which is that some people tend to think that the cloud providers have like totally commodity services and that they're completely interchangeable and they're the same and that the only thing that's different about them might be price. And that's inaccurate. Yeah, that's a great point, actually, because we've seen, at least I should say, I've seen stories where they go to AWS, let's say, and they really want to move to Azure, but they've consumed so many AWS specific things that it's going to take a massive amount of effort to translate that over into what Azure provides. And so therefore they say, well, it's not worth it. We're just going to stay where we're at. So cloud is not a avoid lock-in situation by any stretch of the imagination. You can still get locked in pretty easily. Yeah, definitely. I was going to say, that's one of the reasons that VMware is succeeding in this space, right? When you run VMware on-premises or if you run VMs from within a VMware architecture on AWS, Azure, GCP, or even Oracle's cloud infrastructure, it still feels pretty much like VMware with certain nuances depending on which. The thing there is you're still paying licensing to VMware on those workloads. And is that something that you're willing to consume in order to make that sort of ubiquity across platforms easier. Again, that's not something that we're going to be able to answer for the majority of our customers here in this conversation, but it's a valid consideration. And that brings up one of the sort of surprises that I hear coming up from companies in the cloud, which is egress charges. Yeah, I hate them. I don't think anyone likes them. (laughs) I think they're often a surprise to the companies. I think that statement in itself, Emily, while you're 100% correct, it definitely surprises people. That's what surprises me, (laughs) is how can you be surprised about a cost that is advertised, stated, and documented? I mean, the classic is like object storage, and the market lead in that space is AWS S3. But it's very clear on their pricing structure you pay for the storage, you pay for the transactions, and then you pay to pull it out. It's not hidden. It's not even like fine print. It's right there in black and white, yet people still miss it. It never ceases to amaze me. Yeah, and the last time we spoke, Brian, we were very clear about this. We talked about understand what you're getting yourself into. And uh, a very important detail there is if you're relying on a, a consultancy to help you To make these decisions, that level of trust needs to be in place. They need to be reputable and understanding of all these variables as well. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I think, a great note to kind of start summarizing on is, you know, sometimes you need help getting through this. And you can't always rely on the vendors themselves because, you know, there are no guarantees. So it's important to consider completely, not just what the sales team is going to tell you. It's also important to make sure you understand your business needs and what you expect to get out of the cloud, because the cloud is just like any other tool. You need to use it the right way, and you need to make sure that it's the right tool for you to use to get what you want. So understand all those costs of that platform, including any differences between items that may look identical. 
but have different costs. So try to, you really need to dig in and make sure you understand why they have different costs so that they're truly providing that need that you need and making sure that you're looking at all the potential surprise costs. Even if they shouldn't be a surprise, sometimes people just don't calculate it into their TCO or their ROI to truly understand how that could affect them if it were to happen. Speaking of that ROI, you should really include improvements. That's one of the things I really picked up here is make sure you include those improvements that can balance out some of the extra costs. So we may spend more in this one solution, but we're going to get so much more out of it. You know, We'll be able to bring on three new customers that'll more than pay for that extra cost. And of course, that calculation isn't easy because of things like that. It's different for every company, so there is no single algorithm out there. And you also really should consider a range. So understanding kind of what the the worst case scenario is to the best case scenario and say, we're going to land somewhere in here and it's going to be positive other than this very small, narrow band on the very bad side of things. And by understanding that, you can help to try to control those. And of course, best thing to end on, cloud isn't always the right thing. It's not always the right answer. It's not always the right tool. Any given cloud platform isn't always the right tool. So make sure that you're considering all these things and not doing it just because everyone else is doing it. With that, let's go ahead and finish off this episode of the Cloud Bytes podcast. Thank you to Emily, Matt, and Mark for a great conversation. Also, thanks to Island for making this podcast possible. Please check out the episode notes for panelist contact information, further information on this topic, and all the other episodes at cloudbytes.cloud. You can find our episodes on your favorite podcast apps. And if you found this content useful, we'd appreciate you rating it on those apps and sharing with your friends and colleagues. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Cloud Bytes podcast. We're all just genie eye. <laughs> this is the true. only logical conclusion. <laughs>